Hello and welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, streaming live from Queens, New York. We're really glad that you decided to join us today. Whether you're a member, attend regularly, or this is your first time with us, we want to let you know we appreciate you. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Well, good morning, Journey Church. Again, my name is Bobby. I'm the pastor here at Journey Queens, and uh, I am so excited uh, as we begin over this rest of our 2022 year, uh, we will be fixing our eyes on this return to God. Uh, and so as, as Rob explained a little bit uh, when we were up here just a moment ago, uh, I want to I wanna kind of give a little bit of a different light to it. Uh, I think when you hear return to me, the implication is you've been far off. And I think for some of us, maybe that's been true. I think for some of us in here, we're recognizing our hearts have been far off from God. Maybe you've walked with God in the past, uh, and now you're, you're, you're seeking him again. The journey, Queens being back in, in the full swing of things, is really poking at your heart to return to God as well. Uh, and, and that is incredible, and that is what we are aiming to do. But I don't want anybody here to feel any condemnation when it comes to this thought of returning to God. I don't want you to think that we're going to approach this as if we have done something wrong and we are needing to change the way we're doing things to come back to God. When you look throughout scripture, that is one of the times that people return to God, but not all of them. Sometimes there is just this natural inclination that when we are returning to God, we are drawing in, we're drawing near in sensing that God is about to do something big and that he's about to move in an incredibly powerful way. And that is the heart behind why we are doing this series, Return to Me, where we are aiming for our church as a whole to return to God's presence, to run into his presence. But before we go into that over the next couple weeks, today and tomorrow, I want to take a look and, uh, at, at the power of prayer. You may have heard that phrasing before, the, the power of prayer, but today and next week, I want to take a look at what it looks like to really figure the power of prayer individually, as well as what it looks like to have the power of prayer in a community sense. And scripture gives us a lot of examples on what that looks like as well. So we'll dive into that, all leading into preparing our hearts to take this step into this Return to Me series. And so I have a quick question for you as we get started. Now, a moment ago, Rob and I were up here, and, and Rob prayed for Fort Myers and, and the coast of Florida that's been affected by this Hurricane Ian that has come through. And I think all of us have, have had our hearts go out to, that, to them uh, and have been lifting them up in prayer. But my question is, do you think our prayer really just worked? The prayer we prayed just now. Do you really believe the people in Florida today are encouraged because a small group of people in Queens, New York prayed for them? And I would say yes, I believe it as well. But, but I think that what we realize is some of us may just get into the rhythm of praying. And we just pray, and I know myself, I have as well. And we pray because it's what we're supposed to do. But sometimes we forget that there's power behind that prayer. 
that we here in Queens could send out our heart and our desire for comfort and rest for those who may have lost everything and that those individuals we believe will have a little extra comfort because of the prayer we prayed. Not because we are doing anything. None of us currently are down there physically helping with that relief aid, but we are lifting them up in our heart and in our desire. And you see, that's something interesting I've realized about prayer, is we only pray when we want something. Isn't that true? And before you think of that in a selfish term, let me explain. See, we pray when we want something, regardless of what that want is. I have prayed for relationships in my life to work out. I've prayed for myself to get jobs that I wanted. I've prayed to get out of jobs that I didn't want. I've prayed for uh, silly things like sports teams and Yankees to win and Aaron Judge to hit a home run today. And then I've also prayed for serious things like redemption in my life and healing and forgiveness. But through all of those times that I have prayed, it was because it was something I wanted and something I desired. See, even the prayers that we would pray for other people. See, we truly desire and want those affected by this hurricane to feel comfort. And so we are praying for that. It's our desire, it's our want that drives us to prayer. Even in times of confession, as we talk about in this series, returning to God for those of us which is really all of us that are spending time confessing ways that we've walked away from God, the sin in our lives, the things that are entangling us, as we're praying and confessing that, it's not because it's something we have to do, it's because we want that relationship with God to be restored, to to be cleared, that space in between us to be cleared, the guilt and the shame in our mind to be gone. We have a desire that is prompting us to pray. And simply put, if we don't want something, we won't pray for it, right? If we don't have that desire for something, we won't end up praying for it. For example, as a Yankees fan, I've never prayed for the Boston Red Sox to be good. I'm just going to let you know right this very second, my wife would be disappointed. She's from that area. But the truth is I've never prayed for the Red Sox to be good. I prayed for the Yankees to be good, as silly as that may be. But why is that? Because I don't have that desire, But you see, when we do begin praying and we begin realizing something that we want from God or want for someone else, we begin praying and we usually don't stop. See, when it stops, we've begun stopping wanting it or we just don't think God's going to do it. But the truth is, as we pray, that desire drives us to pray more. And I, the question that always pops up, all right, so what about when God doesn't answer that prayer, right? You're saying, if I, if I really wanted it and didn't stop praying for a million dollars in a Ferrari, that I'd get it? Well, I don't know, but maybe, right? I fully believe that if God saw it best for you to have a million dollars in a Ferrari, when, when you leave here, you'll walk out of this theater and somebody will hand you the keys with the winning lottery ticket in it. I, I believe that if that was what God knew was best for you, he could make that happen, But yeah, there are times where we don't see that clearly, but it's our desire that drives us to it. There's an example in the book of Luke where uh, Jesus gives this parable to his disciples, and we'll just jump right in here. It's in Luke 18, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray 
and not give up. To show them they should do what, church? Always pray and never give up. Verse 2. Jesus said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary, my enemy. For some time, the judge refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me, or another version says, wear me out, so she won't eventually wear me out. Verse 6, and Jesus, the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get their justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith on the earth? See, in this parable, I don't want you to make the clean sweep uh, switch and put God in this judge's seat. I don't know if that's Jesus's original intent. Uh, intent. I think he was using it as a comparison point. See, the judge, even though the judge cared nothing for God and cared nothing for people, still honored the request of this widow so that she didn't eventually wear him out. Through her persistence, she said, I just want her to stop bothering me. And then Jesus makes this example that if a judge who cared nothing about God would eventually honor that request, that plea, that cry, how much more will God come to your aid for justice? How much more will God come to your aid in your time of need as a loving father who cares for you? As a father who truly wants the best for you? But I think it's a really interesting question that Jesus asks at the end of this passage. He says, but when the son of man returns, will he find faith on earth? See, Jesus is directly tying the widow's persistence to faith in this passage. He's posing the idea of saying that her continued persistence in asking this judge, our continued persistence in praying to God for these things that we want, will eventually, it is equated to our faith. And why is that? See, because I think when we ask God for something and we don't stop what we're saying is, God, I don't trust anybody but you for this request. There is no one who can answer this request, this cry of my heart, this breaking of my heart, but you, God. And so I'm bringing it to you. I'm laying it before you. And God, I'm not going to stop until I see resolution. Not because I'm selfish and I want that control to make something happen, but because out of the cry of my heart, I am bringing this before you. And I know that there is no one else that I can come to with this request. See, I think if, if this widow had somebody else to go to that could help her problem, I think she wouldn't have went to the judge who didn't fear God and didn't care about people. I think she would have went somewhere else. But she knew that judge was the only way to have that need met. And I think in this example, we see that we don't have another solution for some of the issues that we're going through, except to bring them to God consistently time and time again. 
And Jesus equates that to our faith. See, often enough, I, I, I will sometimes think, oh, you know what? I, God, I could use that. All right, God, I'll pray for it. But I'm just going to let that be, that one prayer, because you know it, and you're big enough, and, and if you want to honor it, you'll honor it. And then I forget about it. And, and that desire has left. Why, why would God move on that? But if every single day, multiple times a day, I'm coming before God, pleading, God, I need this healing. God, I, I need to see something different. I need a new perspective. God, I need you to work in my anger or my struggle or my heart that is just broken I, I need this. And the more you continuously come to him, the more your faith is increased. I'm reminded of Abraham. We talked about a little bit over the last few weeks that it says in, in Romans describing his journey of not receiving this son that God promised him until he was 100 years old. Paul refers to that and says he did not waver in his faith, but rather he believed that the longer time went, the more glory God would shine with it. He believed that God would honor that request, that, he, that promise that he made. And so as we cling to the promises of God and as we begin praying over those, we can look at this and find that persistence, that encouragement to continue asking God. And then our minds sometimes will go to, but what about the things God doesn't answer? What about the times that we get a no or that we just don't see God move? Those times are real as well. And I think there's a balance that we need to have. I think there's a balance that we need to have of praying as much as we can for these things that we want, but also holding them so lightly in our hands, giving them to God to entrust the outcome of that circumstance. I remember in the, the last relationship I was ever in before I met my wife, it was a couple years before we met, that breakup was very difficult on me. I remember it came, it came swift, it came unexpectedly, and it was something that just kind of smacked me down, and I didn't know which way was up. We had been together for a while, and I, I just wasn't expecting it. And, and in that place of hurt, of brokenness, of trying to rearrange my mind, saying, God, 24 hours ago, I thought this is what you wanted for me, and now it's not. A God-fearing woman, somebody we can move forward in having a possible life together with things we had talked, and now it's gone. And so, God, I am, I am wrestling with this, and my heart is for this to work out. And so I'm going to pray for that. But what I ended up doing was giving it one week. And I said, this, this wasn't something of mine doing. Uh, this was unexpected, but God, I believe you can restore this relationship. I believe if you want this to work out, it will. And so I prayed and I fasted and I gave everything I had towards this request. But at the end of that one week, I let it go. And I said, God, at the end of this one week, if you don't move in this circumstance to show me that this is something you want, I'm going to entrust that the circumstances just change without me knowing and that it's not. And at the end of a week, I began praying in a different direction. I began praying for healing. I began praying to move on. I began praying to trust God with these things that I didn't quite understand. And it wouldn't be for another four years until I was on my honeymoon after marrying my wife and God was showing me all of the things that he did in my heart through that breakup. 
the preparation he was doing, the healing that he was actually doing by letting me be broken. And I just wept and I just thanked him because this thing that I wanted and I prayed for did not turn out the way I wanted, but it turned out so much better than I could have desired. And that's because that is the heart of God. See, we, God wants us to bring our desire before him and these wants that we have before him, but it's not so that he can answer it exactly the way we want. It's for us to align our hearts with God in our asking. God, I am asking you for this. I am begging you for this, but your will be done. We even see this, this humanity in Jesus right before he was betrayed in the garden. As he was praying to God, he prayed, Oh, Father, let this cup, this, this cup that I'm about to drink, this wrath, this, this pain and torture that Jesus himself knew he was about to walk into hours later. And he prayed, God, take this from me. Don't let this happen. But not of my will, but yours. He prayed his desire out to God, his fear, his, his panic in that moment, everything. He laid it before God, but he let it go. And he said, but God, not your will, but mine. I entrust that what you're going to have will be better than anything I could do. Jesus would say, I, I speak not unless the Father speaks. I don't do unless the Father shows me what to do. He was in line with the heart of God. And you see, I think Jesus is the key to the power of prayer. See, I think Jesus is the key behind the power in our life when we pray. This power that we see that can affect the life of someone in Fort Myers, Florida, because of the prayer that a group is praying in Queens, New York. There's power that comes in that. There is supernatural, divine power that is taking place. Something that you and I cannot generate, but only God can. And I believe that power is found in Jesus. You see in John chapter 15, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And this is actually as him and his disciples are on their way to that garden that I just mentioned that he was praying in hours before he is crucified. And this is what he's teaching them. He says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You, speaking to his disciples, have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Verse 5. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You cannot produce fruit. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Whoa. That's not me saying it. That's Jesus. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings glory, great glory to my father. Church, take this step right above that line of thinking that's like, ATM machine. God said, pray for what I want, and I got it. Just take the step beyond that. 
God gives us the ability in Jesus to pray for something and knowing it will come to pass. But that praying and that confidence that has Jesus say, you may ask anything you want and it will be given to you, only comes in this remaining in Christ. It comes in this, the other word that scripture uses is this abiding in Jesus. See, when we begin to abide, when we begin to remain in Jesus, in this relationship with him, we begin to assume the mind of God. We begin to understand the way he is working more and more over time. We begin to trust the character of God that it is for our good every single time. And you see, as we begin to pray, our prayers begin to be molded and formed to that understanding. We begin to pray with more clarity, understanding with peace that if this doesn't work out, this thing that I'm praying for constantly right here, it's okay because it means God has something so much better on the other end. Because this promise says that he will work all things together for the good of those who love him. See, when we understand that mindset of Jesus, when we understand that mindset of God, and we begin remaining in him, we see fruit. And that fruit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, it's self-control. Paul in Galatians outlines these, he calls them fruit of the Spirit. These are the things that you will begin seeing in your life that the Holy Spirit will begin to produce in you when you remain in Jesus. See, as Jesus said here, you can do nothing apart from me when it comes to that, that fruit that you're producing. You can go out and buy yourself a new toy or a new phone, and it's going to give you some joy, and then it'll fade. It'll give you some excitement. It'll hit that dopamine in your brain, and you'll be super excited for a bit, and then it will fade because it's, it's temporary. But this fruit of the Spirit that Jesus is speaking of is a, a permanent, a everlasting, an and, and all-time joy, an all-time peace, an all-time love, one that trumps any other that you can find on your own. See, Jesus is telling his disciples in this last moment of teaching before he is led off to be crucified, one of the most important things that he finds to tell his disciples in this pivotal moment after three years of walking with Jesus and they're about to be separated and parted and their minds are about to be blown because they thought Jesus was coming to restore Israel. They thought all of this time that he's been coming against the religious authorities and the Pharisees, he's going to restore things the way needs to be done and right before they're about to watch all of their dreams and hopes crumble as Jesus is led off and killed, Jesus says, stay in me. Remain in me as much as you can. Remain in me. And look at what he says, church. For those of you who are here and feel like you've been chasing God and getting nowhere, you feel like you've been doing the things you've been doing. You've been praying. You've been asking. You've been coming before him. You've been confessing. I'm doing everything and I'm still struggling. Look at verse 2 where he says that he cuts off the branches that don't produce fruit, but he prunes the branches that do. 
Church, I don't know how many gardeners we have here in New York or how many of you are aware of what pruning is. I wasn't myself, but I Googled it and a picture of what a pruned tree looks like. I think we're going to have that come up. That's the ugliest tree I've ever seen in my life. I don't want that in my front yard. I'll be honest. If I'm going to have a nice front yard, I want that thing lush, green leaves, maybe some apples coming off it. But Jesus is saying that's what happens when you're doing the right things. See, because what happens is when these branches are cut, it then begins to give way for more life to go to these new branches that are springing out. These dead branches are beginning to fall off. These dead branches that are drawing these nutrients for no reason. And they begin to be cut off. And even the good branches have to be trimmed back some so that more nutrients and more water and and more life can be brought to these future branches. And it grows back stronger and fuller and more beautiful. So if you're here and you feel like you're in that place and you've just been waiting and waiting and waiting and you're confused... You're being pruned. God is pruning you. He's making you more fruitful in the future. And just like this tree, you can actually see in that picture, the trees behind it are dead as well, which signifying it's probably winter time. Just the same as trees go through a season every year where they lose their leaves and die, but then come back in the spring. So does our soul. So does God with us that we go through these difficult seasons where we cannot see, where we're on this boat like we talked about last week in the middle of this this sea with waves coming and we're like, where is Jesus? He's doing this pruning work to begin to allow for more fruit to come out so that we can be more fruitful for our own lives and for those around us. You see, because God doesn't want us to live in a position of need. He doesn't want us to be in a permanent position where we are constantly stressed and worried and filled with anxiety. But he wants us to push into him. He he wants us to abide with him, to draw near to him, and to remain in him. And it's in that place that place of security, that place of, God, I know that there, I, I've, I've just dropped everything else in my mind that is the solution to this thing that I need or want. I've dropped everything in regards to what will work because nothing will work as much as you. I am going to you, God, repeatedly again and again. That is my faith because I know you will respond. And even if it's not in the way that I intended and the way that I'm directly praying, I know that Jesus is praying for me as well. I know that the Father who lives in heaven is working for my best and my good. And so I will keep praying for this thing. And as you change the circumstances, my prayer will change, but it will never change in my faith. My faith will continue to come to you because there's nowhere else I can go. See, church, it matters how much you pray. It's not that you're coming into the favor of God more and he's more pleased with you and so he's blessing you more and more. That's not how it works. See, our prayer, the more we spend, more time we spend in prayer, the more time we spend running to God, the closer he draws us. And the more he begins to work in our lives and the more he begins to prune the tree that is bearing fruit, fruit that will produce life. And church, 
Let me encourage you with this quote before we wrap up. For those of you who feel like I've tried a thousand times, I try and pray all the time. I want to pray, you know, twice a day when I wake up and go to bed and I just, I'm continuously not doing this goal that I'm setting and I feel like I'm not praying enough. There was a, uh, a French author and he was actually a World War I soldier as well. And he wrote at one point, the wish to pray is a prayer in itself. Church, take your heart to God. He doesn't want your perfect words. He doesn't want you trying to figure out the right thing to pray that's going to get God to do what you want. He just wants your heart. And some days, that may just be, God, I I just want to pray more. (laughs) You know, I'm really busy, and I have not made that time for you. I've not invested in my walk with you enough to where my life is being changed by it. And God, I don't know what to do, but I want that to change. Just let that before God. Pray that every time it comes to your mind. Because even that in itself is a prayer. But church, when we find that in our faith, we continuously are coming back to God, asking him for the things that we're asking him for, letting that want, that desire, and laying it at at his feet, we know that he's a good father, that he's a good dad, that will give us good gifts, and that he won't allow harm, even in pain and hurt, It's not harm. It's not God letting us into a position where there's something that's going to be so terrible it's beyond his grasp. It's for our growth and it's pruning. And as we abide in Jesus, we begin to find the power that comes behind that prayer to lay our request to God each and every day. Would you bow your heads and join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this truth that we're able to see in your word, this truth of of abiding, of remaining in Jesus. God, would you remind me and remind us each and every day that there is a direct tie between our prayer and our relationship with you, our pursuit of you, our laying our heart before you, and our prayer that is going out to you. God, would you continue, Father, to allow us, give us strength to draw near to you in prayer more than we do today. God, I pray for every heart here who has that thing that they've been praying for, that circumstance that they're asking you change. Father, would you give us peace? Would you remind us that you're a good, good God and that you will give us what we're asking for? Even if the direction we're praying is is just a little off, you'll correct that. And you will give us the good thing that we want. And if it's not what we want, it'll be better. And we trust that because we trust your love. We thank you for that, that hope and that promise. And we pray it all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.